Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, what are you superstitious about? Like, what's something that you know isn't true, but you you do it anyway? I mean, I think I'm so superstitious, do I know it's not true? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, Erin, I l- will never, ever, ever lie about being sick. Like, any level of malady. My Oma was like, if you lie about being sick, I think old ethnic grandparents are a real root of superstition. And so (laughs) she was like, if you ever lie about getting sick, you're going to get 10 times sicker than what you said you were. So I can can tell any employer or friend listening, I have never fucking lied about being sick. And this includes when I have to nod to my IBS. Um, I think that that's just good practice, but I can see how it goes into the the ten times sicker thing. Goes yeah, ten into times the, sicker. The ten times sicker. Um, I have two, and one is that it's another one around not lying, but I never ever lie about compliments. I never compliment someone in a in a fake way because I feel like it would fill me with doubt about any nice thing that people say to me if I am putting that kind of energy out into the world. Okay, that's a good one. Um, but here's my my one that I know is not true. I still avoid stepping on cracks on the sidewalk. I do too. I avoid the cracks. and it, it's, I do it's, too. I remember when I learned that superstition and I was like, you know what? Best be on the safe side. Have you Better- ever walked under a ladder? <laughs> no, that just seems dangerous. Yeah, I agree, but never done it. <laughs> This week, we're joined by astrologer Chani Nicholas to tackle the following questions. What states are withholding welfare funds from needy families during a pandemic and what the hell is wrong with them? Why is astrology so popular at this exact moment? How has analyzing the sky driven world politics for thousands of years? And what is America's Pluto return and why is it so scary? All this and more right now. Okay, Alyssa, we've got some news items 
that we're going to talk about today. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot going on in the world, um, there but is. we we can't lose track about what is going on in our own backyards locally. And um, the first thing that I wanted to talk about today is something that I understand you are extremely fired up over. Um, according to recently released federal data, states are sitting on. billion in unspent funds from the Federal Temporary Assistance for Needy Families Program, or TANF. Nearly $700 million was added to the total during the 2019 and 2020 fiscal years, with Hawaii, Tennessee, and Maine hoarding the most cash per person living at or below the federal poverty line. Alyssa, what do you make of this? Aaron, I would like to say something. So this goes back to the bill that was passed in 1996. And here is, this was the the welfare reform. And here's an interesting thing that goes to the whole topic. Then Senator Carol Mosley Braun from Illinois, she saw all of this coming. And she tried when this bill was passed to say, we should not, we should not let states carry over unused TAMF funds, meaning they shouldn't roll over. If you save $50 million, if you don't give away $50 million in funds a year, they should not roll over to the next year where then you can amass $100 million because as she called it, it would be a race to the bottom, which is in fact what has happened here. And so we both went down the rabbit hole of this great ProPublica article and it blew my brain apart. There are states that are literally just hoarding these funds and where they are making it so incredibly difficult for people to access these funds that what they are doing is pointing to fewer and fewer applicants for these funds every year, when that is not that there are fewer and fewer people living below the poverty line. It's that they have demoralized them beyond the point of being able to just get up the chutzpah to go and apply for this because they have made it so hard. In some states, Aaron, the biggest culprits here, uh, Maine, Tennessee, Hawaii, other states like Oklahoma, Nebraska are not good actors here either. In some states, first of all, the amount of money that we're talking about is $200, $300 per month that they're making people go bend over backwards. It's if, and and for in some of these states, how they raise the bar higher and higher is that if you are getting child support from a partner, you don't qualify anymore. It can disqualify you. If you start, uh, if you start to, some say you have to have a job to qualify. And then once you get the job, they're like, oh, you make like 50 cents an hour too much uh, to qualify for this. And mm-hmm. so- Here is an interesting example from Maine. Under the administration of Governor Paul LePage, who held office from- Boo. Who held office from 2011 through 2018, Maine slashed welfare benefits and was one of the last states to impose full family sanctions on TAMP recipients, which denies assistance to an entire family if a parent doesn't fulfill TAMP requirements. Maine repealed the sanctions this year, which advocates hope signals a shift in the state's welfare policies under the administration of Governor Janet Mills, who took office in 2019. You know, uh, I read this story, this anecdote in the article that really, really disturbed me. A woman in Maine, mother of four named Mm -hmm. Bonnie Bridgorth. Mm -hmm. She, her husband was in jail and she was told that she would only receive government assistance if she worked. She was nine months pregnant. Correct. She was nine months pregnant. She was eventually receiving monthly checks for $981 
No one is living high on the hog. I don't care how low the sta- the cost of living is. If you were living in the the United States for $981 a month, that is very, very, very low amounts of money. Um, but she was told that she wouldn't qualify for government assistance anymore, including childcare, because her husband was released from jail and she was therefore in a two-person household. Like Even though he didn't return to the family unit. <laughs> Like, it's such trash. And the interesting thing is some of these states now that they have been called out on it are like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, look at us. We're doing better. Oklahoma. Here's an an interesting example. Earlier this month, this would have been in December, earlier this month, the Department of uh, Health and Human Services in Oklahoma announced it would invest $27 million in TAMP funds in organizations that serve low-income Oklahoma families, including a community crisis center and a birth equity initiative. Okay, Erin, um, how many years did it take them to fucking get on that horse? But wait, the state, however, is not considering adjusting eligibility requirements or increasing the amount of cash assistance qualifying families receive per month, which is currently capped at $292 per family. Like... What? This is, what are they hoarding? And here's the thing, Aaron, that we have to point out. Aaron, why would these states be hoarding the money? What else could they possibly do with the money? Hmm. They can plug, because of how block grants work, they can plug other holes uh, in some states with this money that have nothing to do with helping families who are below the poverty line. So all in all- Pretty, pretty fucking disgusting. Do you think this has anything to do with the upcoming elections? You know, Aaron, I've heard rumors that some governors could in fact use the uh, surpluses from the TAMP funds to like cut taxes. Right before the election. That's very convenient. Um, mm-hmm. I love how these governors of red states, but also some blue states. Um, yeah, some blue most, states. Mostly red states love to write checks and then just expect the poorest people. And yeah, it, and another thing, I'm sorry to, to keep no, going. This, no. is another, this is like getting into tinfoil hat territory, but I listened to season two of This Land with immense interest. Me too. And one of the things that Rebecca talks about in season two of This Land is how poverty is often punished um, and, and characterized as neglect in families, um, in, in especially like non-white families. Poverty is characterized as neglect. I just feel like in a place like Oklahoma, there are so many families that are non-white who are now in situations where they can't, they definitely can't afford childcare, but they can't not go to work. So what ends up happening to the kids? They get put in situations that the state might classify as neglect, or the state might uh, classify as something that can be penalized. And I, I, I hate it. I fucking hate it. And one of our least favorite states, Texas. Boo. Well, no, not every, not boo everyone in Texas, but boo the Texas governor. governor. Yeah. Yes. To qualify for TAMP funds in Texas, a family with two children and one caretaker must have less than $1,000 in assets and a monthly income of less than $188. Those requirements have not changed in Texas despite the state's $281 million in unspent TAMP funds in fiscal year 2020. Erin, not having $1,000 in assets means you can't have a car, even if you have the shittiest car. 
they could say that it is more than uh, that it is. I mean, it is it is like like are you supposed to just like drive a Fred Flintstones car to work? Is that what like how it are is? You- it is not. Uh, it is not great, Aaron. And I'm so glad that we took the time to talk about this because with everything going on in the world, it feels like oh, this doesn't seem, this can't possibly be happening. No, there are hundreds of millions of dollars in money during a pandemic. Have we flagged that? During a pandemic that should be going to help people who need the help the most. And And who who are those people? Usually caretaking people? Caretaking people, caretaking people. Anybody who is providing care to children. And like, I I don't understand why the first first thought of these pro-life Republican governors is like, let's punch some poor kids in the face. Let's do it. Let's take them down a notch. What is that going to do? What is What does that do except get their crusty, old, weird voters excited to vote for them? Like how, I don't know. I, I could I could go on and on and on about this, but like how soulless do you have to be to be okay with the price of your small tax cut being the well-being of a child. Yeah. Like, like what is your fucking damage? Okay. Um, we've got we've got some good news to end the news segment on this week. Yeah. Um, the US women's national soccer team members have settled their equal pay lawsuit for $24 million. Members of the US women's national soccer team reached a settlement with the US Soccer Federation Tuesday that will guarantee equal pay with the men's team. Well, the men's team sucks and the women's team is awesome. So it's ridiculous that it's just like, look, sorry, men, but we're calling it men's soccer. Um, Equal pay with the men's team and offer players millions in back pay, ending a six-year fight by players in a gender discrimination case that resonated through American sports and beyond. 22 of the $24 million will go to the players behind this suit. And that was an effective admission uh, that U.S. soccer had not paid its women's team equally. Uh, It won (laughs) praise from prominent figures, including President Biden, who called the case a long overdue victory in the fight for equal pay in a tweet on Tuesday morning. Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, and 25 other American players uh, were a part of that suit. So what do you make of this news? This is great news. And you know what else? It's not just the pay, Aaron. It is the it is the standards of how they practice. As Megan Rapino said, this is about like the players who are there now and players who will come uh, to, you know, to be part of the team in the years to come can just focus on their sport. And apparently, I'm sure this isn't shocking news, but apparently their charter planes weren't as nice. The hotels they stayed in weren't as nice. The equipment they practiced on, the practice facilities were not as nice. And so now there shall be equity across the board. Thank goodness, because the U.S. women's national team has a long legacy of just kicking ass all over the place. All over. The U.S. men's national team does not. So um, even if you're going to talk about like merit pay and how much attention they get, I just think it's... It's about time. It's long past about time, but I'm super happy for all uh, female athletes who now will benefit from this. This is great. Yes. Let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I see, I see something interesting in our future. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes, 
And their IQ Joe mushroom coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, I just like I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like parched? I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm gonna pass out. And it's ah, you gotta drink some water. You gotta stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito... (laughs) <laughs> not not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ bars, four IQ mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back. Alyssa, if I told you I was about to pull a Nancy Reagan, what would you think that meant? Oh, girl, you're going to try and keep me off drugs again. (laughs) No, I wouldn't dare. I would not dare (laughs) to keep you off drugs. Actually, I wouldn't. D-A-R-E would be a great that would be so a funny. great shirt. I know. New t-shirts. I know. New new, t- new merch. Oof, <laughs> let's not let's not do that to the kids. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh by pull a Nancy Reagan, I mean the the least harmful, most benign Nancy Reagan trait, which is that Nancy Reagan, as a lot of people know, had an astrologer in the White House who was consulted for um some major decisions um, that that some people rose an eyebrow at. So um, we are actually going to move to the next generation of astrologers. And we have somebody here today who can kind of speak about the history of astrology and the way that it's practiced today. And I'm so excited to welcome her. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Jenny Nicholas to Hysteria. She is a renowned LA-based astrologer known for incorporating progressive politics activism, and queer identity into her work. Her New York Times bestselling book, You Were Born for This, Astrology for Radical Acceptance, is currently out and available. And her app, Chani, Your Astrology Guide, is available for download in the App Store. And I downloaded it yesterday, and it is so fun. It is so fun. Welcome, Chani. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Joan Quigley was the astrologer that you're talking about, (laughs) was Nancy Reagan's astrologer. And she was 
you know, like in the biographies and in the stories, she was consulted for everything. So I don't even know if you could say it was benign because whatever, you know, depends on what you think of Reagan's politics, but if an astrologer was consulted to make sure all of Reagan's policies went through, I'm not so sure it was benign, <laughs> which is a really good point because astrology can be used in a multitude of ways for a multitude of reasons. And it's all about the person using it. That's so interesting. I'm I'm interested to hear you talk about the way that you incorporate progressive politics, activism, and queer identity into astrology. You know, I am a person and I'm a queer person and I am a person that believes that uh, systems of supremacy are not the way to go. So I just do astrology and I do it from my own point of view, like everybody does. Hmm. So I've been given that label, but it's really just me being myself talking about astrology. Hmm. So among the astrology community, are there people that like the progressives and the queer people get together and kind of shit talk? They're like this person. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I really live in my own little universe. Mm -hmm. There's like many different types of astrology communities, I think. Mm -hmm. And I am very busy running a tech company and running and creating an app and all the other things that we do over here. So I create my own world. Uh, it's been a thrill to create my own company in a way that I think is equitable and sustainable and and abundant. So that's what I care about. That's great. Um, you know, I moved to California in 2018, so that might be kind of what colors this next question. But in the last few years, it has seemed that astrology has become huge in ways mm -hmm. that I never remember it being huge when I was a kid mm -hmm. and like reading the horoscopes in the back of Seventeen magazine that was like, mm -hmm. you're a Leo, you should wear the color gold. You know, it's it's a lot more <laughs> advanced. You have people talking about things like rising signs and uh, compatibility charts and the charts of events. What do you attribute that to? So if you look back to the couple of thousands of years of history of an astrology, that this astrology that we do has, you can see at times where there was a major crisis uh, in the society that we're, you, know, you want to talk about was having that astrology would come back into the fore. And one of my teachers, Demetra George, always talks about or has spoken about the fact that in Egypt, there was a type of cosmology that is very much influenced and has shaped uh, Western astrology that we use now. But it wasn't as prevalent as it was in Mesopotamia. And if you think of the societies, Egypt being a very stable, maybe not equitable, but very stable um, society for a really long time, ancient Egypt. And then Mesopotamia that was undergoing a lot of different changes and different you know, rulerships. And whereas Egypt was like, this is the Pharaoh, this is the way we do it. This is the next one. And it was steady and like kind of in a sense, again, maybe inequitable, but grounded. They didn't have the same need for astrology that maybe Mesopotamia did where there was a lot of upheaval. So when the, the situation, you know, blows up, everyone's like, what do we do? What do we turn to? Where do I look for meaning? Who has some answers? Who can hold context? for this experience. So in 2016, when a certain person was elected, you saw astrology just go kind of through the roof because everyone was like, WTF, what do we do now? How'd this happen? 
obviously it happened for a lot of reasons and it, they weren't all astrological, but that astrology started to really come in. And then it was the same time that we were, we were engaging with social media in a really different way, Instagram and obviously Facebook had been around for a long time and Twitter had been around for a long time. And so then you get a pandemic. Everybody's inside, everyone's learning about sourdough starters and banana bread and astrology because what is happening? And because the astrology of 2020 was so horrific that astrologers have been talking for a long time about the mark that was going to be made in that year. And then we were all you know, in lockdown reading things, listening to things, and astrology was able to kind of like get the attention and then TikTok just blew it up. Hmm. So it's about crisis, I think. <laughs> like in a crisis, people need something. We need to have a North Star. We need to have a way to hold the context for the ways in which we're grappling with our own mortality. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned Nancy Reagan and um, <laughs> her... Uh, evil astrologer, not evil. No, no. (laughs) No, I'm not calling her evil. So let's talk about other American presidents, American leaders that relied on astrological guidance. Like what are some previous moments in American history when astrology became something that was very, uh, very public and very popular? I don't know of one. It was actually, it's actually, I think, phenomenal that we ever found out that Nancy used one. I'm like, how did, how did we even get that intel? So I, I don't think that other leaders haven't used astrology. I just think that we, if they have, we don't know about it. Like, I think Adele has definitely talked to an astrologer because the ways in which she like put things out on these like really interesting astrological dates this year was, but I'm sure people use astrologers all the time. It's just not public. Why do you think it's not public? Do you think that they're like ashamed of it or they think that people view it as superstition? I think it's like, I I don't think it's anybody's business. Like, you know, like your chart is your business. My chart is my business, what I do with it and like how I use the transits that I'm undergoing. There's something, you know, there's, we're so interested in astrology in this moment, but there's something about it, like all wisdom traditions that is kind of self-secret. And there's a way in which working with some of it in some ways shouldn't be public information. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, like I, lo- I, we launched the app, the Chani app on really good astrology. And I made that very public and clear, but there's other stuff that I do that I wouldn't tell people. Hmm. It's just, it's, it's, it's my way of working with the system. So I don't think it all should be public. Mm-hmm. There's real value in keeping things for yourself. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, so throughout his, you mentioned the uh, Mesopotamia and Egypt having traditions in astrology. Can you tell us a little bit about how Mesopotamian astrology differs from the astrology that's being practiced today? And if it is uh, really, like what changes have, have gone on between then and now? Great question. Big question. So we're talking, when we talk about those regions and those time frames, we're talking about the origins of astrology. So astrology at that point was used, like there were astrologers slash astronomers, because they were the same thing at that point, watching the sky and documenting it for like hundreds of years. It's actually one of the longest standing scientific documents that we have is like the documentation of when Mars rose and what happened. And it was like, okay, if this thing happens, then there might be 
uh, something that's going to go on with, with the king or the ruler, or there might be an invasion. And so we start to get into using astrology to predict something for that group of people. And then we get into like court astrologers and like court astrologers had like a really gnarly job because they had to give the king or the ruler the prediction. And often if they were wrong, they got murdered <laughs> or, if they were, or if they gave a prediction that the ruler didn't like, they could be like imprisoned or in trouble or they, you know, like so much was riding on it. And so there was this like intense pressure. So rulers used and nations kind of used astrology for a long time. And then as history kind of unfolds and we get into like the Hellenistic era and we get into that whole kind of thing where a lot of different cultures were coming together and being colonized, and rulership was back and forth. We get into uh, all of a sudden we have a different type of astrology that we it is very comparable to what we have now, which is about your personal chart. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have astrology for you personally for a while. It was more about kind of a, are we going to make it? Will there be, you know, more, you know, like what's the bad omen? What's the good omen? Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa, yesterday was a big day for you. And I think it was also a big day for America, wasn't it? Let's talk about this, Jenny. Pluto. <laughs> Pluto returns. What? Pluto so, returns. So yesterday was my birthday and I heard that Pluto- hey, happy birthday. Thank you so much. And I heard that Pluto <laughs> returning- that, mm-hmm. <laughs> Pluto holds a lot of significance. What does it mean that Pluto has returned? Okay. So it takes 248 years for Pluto to come back to the same position it was in originally. We are going through our first Pluto return. Pluto is a planet of transformation, destruction, and metamorphosis, but it definitely brings us into a kind of archetypal hell realm or underworld kind of situation where we have to grapple with mortality, with our choices, and with the outcome. So Pluto works in a really slow way. We can say that we entered into our Pluto return as a country in 2008 when Pluto first entered into Capricorn. Capricorn is about structures and it in our current world, we could say that Capricorn's really related to like financial systems. Oh, so wow. what happened in 2008? Wow. <laughs> Market crashed. Financial right. system and upheaval. <laughs> so the US's Pluto is in the U.S.'s second house. The second house is about money, assets, resources, how you make it, how you make a living. So it's a planet of transformation. It's a planet of power. It's a planet of underworld experiences. And it's in the second house of money. So when you have your first Pluto return, humans don't have a Pluto return, obviously, only countries do. U.S.'s first Pluto return is about money and it's about the structures that this nation was founded on economically. We were founded on the theft of human life, the theft of land, and the complete annihilation of cultures and families and communities and histories for what? For economic control. You know, like there's there's one reason why you colonize a country and why you steal human lives. And that is to dominate and to receive the monetary prosperity of a system of supremacy. So in 2008, when we entered into the very, very, very beginnings of a Pluto return, 
we saw the fallacy of the economic system that we operate under it was exposed right the instability of it was exposed and the we could say the greed of it was exposed all those things started to be exposed we also had the first black president that we had ever had and because this nation is founded on white supremacy that's also kind of a marker in a sense of then what was to come as a reaction and as a retaliation against trying to open up a conversation about white supremacy and the roots here so we can see like if you think back to 2008 we weren't having public discourse mm -hmm. about the history of this nation in the way that we are now we weren't talking about theft in the ways that we do now we weren't talking about the way this country was built and the impact of that in this moment uh, until now and then in 2020 we had this moment where saturn and pluto and Jupiter and the South Node, which is where eclipses happen, all lined up in January of 2020. And that was the big mark, the Saturn-Pluto um, conjunction that all the astrologers were like, this is gonna be bad. <laughs> and we didn't know how it was gonna be bad. And January rolled around and we lived through it. And then February and March happened. We were like, ah, that's what went on with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. So again, it's like, it's revealing the instability of the ways in which we have structured our society and our culture and the ways in which the systems that we live within are based on inequity and how they are so new. Mm -hmm. This is not an old country, you know? Yeah. We can change this. This, do this doesn't have to be the way that we live. And I think that's what the last two years has taught us. We can work from home. We don't have to be flying around the world to get our jobs done. We also have money to support people. Like we have resources that we could allocate to support human life and to create, you know, a sustainable way of living. We just don't, we're just choosing not to, or the powers that be choose not to. Mm -hmm. So now that Pluto's here, what does Pluto's this, always been here. But now that it's like, you know, now that it's returned, it's what back, does, baby. It's back. <laughs> what does that mean for us, for the United States going forward? Well, if you look at the last two years, we've had, well, if you, we can look back to 2008 until now. And then, you know, Pluto's going to be in and out of Capricorn until November of 2024. So because it's such a slow moving planet, we have to think about these larger swaths sure. of time. But if you think about, the uprisings and that happened during you know 2020 and beyond but we you know i think part of what pluto does is it's like you have to reckon with what is underneath everything you, you things get pulled up and exposed so for the first time in our history we had conversations about reparations on the world stage at the presidential elections and nothing has happened. I'm not saying like just mentioning it is enough or good, but it's like that's, you know, we have to heal from the past. And the only way we can heal from the past is to also make sure people have the resources that they need to do so and the resources that they deserve. So I think, you know, conversations about reparations is really important and looking at who has suffered from the theft of all the things that we've mentioned before. 
But what happens now is our choice. Like that's the thing. It's, this is the mark of the moment. This has what occurred. This has this is what has happened in the sky. This is what is occurring on the ground. What we do with that is our choice. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so, what are some things you know over the next couple years that you find to be very interesting that are happening astrologically for? the country? Like, is there something coming up that you're like, I'm not sure what it means, but it means something? Nothing could be bigger than a Pluto return, really, because it is the slowest moving planet. So the thing to watch about this country right now, and because this country has been a world power for so long, whatever happens here, unfortunately, ripples out to the rest of the world. So it is about what we are going through economically, It is about what we've learned about our resources. It's about what we do with our resources. And it's about now what happens in other countries and with other nations in terms of our own power and dominance on the world stage, right? Like this is a reckoning point. And so it doesn't mean that we're going to lose everything. But I think a lot of people have been talking for a long time about, you know, the last days of Rome. (laughs) Like, what are we doing? How come the wealth is so disproportionately centered on a very few people. That's not sustainable. And speaking of Rome, I was going to say, um, what has happened in other countries' history during their Pluto return? Has there been like... Oh, you're going to make me pull up all my dates and things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, there's a lot you can look back to. So you have to look at the histories of countries that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. But you can look at like the England's um, Pluto returns, one of them, you know, and it's like there's the first Pluto return, second Pluto return, third Pluto return, and you're going to see different stages of development along all three. I think the second Pluto return that England had was the beginning of the like, uh, what they call it, the golden era of England's lifespan, but then the third was the end of the slave trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because that is where it began. And because that is, was so much a part of our history here, mm-hmm. it's an interesting uh, correlation. So of course, one of the things we've been talking about really predominantly in our society is abolitionism, right? Like also that we've talked, you know, white supremacy has entered the zeitgeist, like, and just even grappling with the impacts of that. But so has the very thought of not having prisons and what why prisons were created in the first place and how that they are just an extension of enslavement and the way in which this country is operated. So those are like major points of contention and those are major points of conversation and those are things that we have not even, we've just begun to kind of grapple with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like in terms of a country, We also had, you know, over the course of 2020 and 2021, we had some very poignant eclipses that were happening on the U.S.'s ascendant. So the first one, I believe, was right in the midst of the uprisings. And then there was another one uh, when when they confirmed uh, Biden as president. What is the U.S.'s ascendant? Sagittarius. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because we talk about freedom and we talk about ideals mm-hmm. and we talk about this big expansive mission. Mm-hmm. And then we have a Pluto return and we're like, 
is that real? Who's that for? Mm -hmm. Like who gets to win in this like grand scenario of a utopian country? What is really happening here? Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like, you know, before I moved to California and before this giant explosion of, I, it, it was a conjunction, if you will, um, of <laughs> me moving to the West Coast, a place where a lot of people were were talking yeah. and using astrology in their lives before and like a massive explosion in the popularity of astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really thought of it as like a framework for mm. thinking about, you know, for analyzing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It was more like, Sort of, yeah, like I, I'm going to go back to the Seventeen magazine example. Like a, you're a yeah. Leo. You want to wear like bright gold colors and you're a mm-hmm. showman. We can actually thank Alan Leo, an astrologer, for that. Really? He was somebody that came about around the dawn of the printing press. And so the way to have a public conversation about astrology with the masses was most people know what day they're born. And therefore, most people can look at a newspaper column and be like, oh, yeah, I was born within these dates. Therefore, I'm a Leo. And then you can read a horoscope. But before that, we weren't focused on sun signs as astrologers. Mm. It was much more about your rising sign and your entire chart. But the sun sign horoscope column was, you know, like perpetuated and popularized because of the pinching pass and because this kind of group of astrologers and spiritualists were like, let's get in and talk to the masses about this. And so that is also really new, right? Mm -hmm. In the span of a couple thousand years of astrology's history, the sun sign column is like, it's like a little speck on the whole spectrum, but it's been incredibly powerful because it has been a gateway. Some astrologers call it the gateway drug um, Mm -hmm. into (laughs) astrology. Like, oh, this is my 17 magazine, you know, horoscope, but like, what else is there? And so it's a way to ha- to begin the conversation with the public. Mm-hmm. And how do you see your role? I know that you do uh, readings for people. You have the app, which kind of makes it accessible to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. How do you see astrology in the lives of people that you work with? Like, are, are you predicting things? Are you more guiding things? Are you just pointing out what is? I mean, it is our company, right? Like our company is an astrology company. We just so happen to have an app and that's how we deliver the content. So I'm not the only astrologer on the team. And, you know, there's like a group of astrologers, there's a creative group, there's a tech group. So yeah, we do everything astrologically. We don't release anything unless we find a good astrological date to release it on. We, you know, we pick like charts to do updates to the app for. Like we, we astrology is everything in our lives. And I think this notion of like predicting things is something that humans really want. Like, Mm -hmm. it's funny. It's like, people are like, well, what does it mean? And you're like, you're living it. (laughs) This is what it means. Like the Pluto return is this, do you need more than like a reckoning of the roots of this country? Like this is major what's happened since 2008. Like where we are, we have to look at the whole thing, like where we are now is is maybe we haven't moved the needle enough, but also the conversations that we're having now are radically different than what we had even five years ago. And I think that that is about that deep unearthing of the the systemic injustice that is is at the core of everything. And it's all kind of coming apart and being revealed. Mm -hmm. We haven't had the major change of it, but um, it's there. So we don't like predict things, but we look at the weather, you know, like astrology is a weather pattern. And so if it's Mercury retrograde, 
we like batten down the hatches and we're like, okay, let's look at all our systems. Let's assume that things are going to go awry and make sure that we are doubling down on good communication skills and over communicating. And, you know, like we just have that framework as a company and it's not in a way that's like paranoid or superstitious. Mm-hmm. It's a, we, I really believe that you can build a relationship with the natural world. It doesn't have to be with the planets. You know, it doesn't have to be astrology, but for time immemorial until very recently, we as humans had to have a relationship with the natural world. We always looked up. We always celebrated things around the solstices and the equinoxes. I'm a Jew. We celebrate the new moon. Buddhists celebrate things around new and full moons. There's so many religious cultural traditions that are celebrated around the moon cycles or the solar cycles. And that's because we didn't think of ourselves as separate from the natural world until very recently. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you can have in terms of a relationship with the natural world, that's what I think is fortifying on a soul kind of level. Mm -hmm. So I promote having a relationship with your life, with the natural world. And it's not about predicting things. It's about watching them and being conscious of what's happening and how that's impacting you what is unfolding given that the context of that time frame mm-hmm. so despite its massive popularity astrology does have a lot of skeptics um do you really care what the skeptics think and if you end up in a conversation with one how does that go i don't <laughs> i don't care i don't care to have the conversation i don't think everyone should believe in astrology whatever believing in astrology means. I don't think we should all do the same thing. I think we should be diverse and have diverse ways of communing with our own soul and the soul of the world and the soul of our life. And if we were all following the same system, it would get weird. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't meet a lot of people that are like, you're ridiculous for believing that. It's also been a pandemic for the past couple of years. So I'm not like in a lot of different rooms where people would be like that. Um, but you know, good, great. I don't, why, like, I don't need you to agree with me. I would love you to find your own way in. And I would love to hear about it. Like, what is it that you believe in? What's your guiding kind of, you know, force in your life? How do you ritualize being in touch with yourself and your own growth and healing. So one thing that, you know, I've, I've, I keep coming back to is that there's no denying that astrology has played a historically significant role in the lives of people for a really, really long time. Why do you think it's so marginalized as part of the conversation of like human history? Such a great question. And it is, it is, it's like hidden in plain sight. Read Shakespeare. Astrology is all over it. You think about Harriet Tubman, think about how she was guided by the North Star. Think about the ways in which, again, we have been in relationship with the sky because our lives depended on it. We needed to know what season it was. We needed to know how long the sun was good. Like we needed to know where the crops were. We needed to know, you know, like we had to be in relationship with everything in nature. So all cultures and all cultural traditions have what we call astrology embedded in them, a kind of cosmology. The earliest depictions, the earliest art that we have, some of those like cave paintings, like in France, the caves of Lesso, those are 
those are the the rising and setting of some stars of the of the Palladians of the, like we had to know oh those stars are rising that means that spring is coming that means that food is going to be here it was like literally we we depended on the info that we were getting from it so it's everywhere and i think that it's been so demoted in terms of a system of knowledge for a lot of reasons you know the, the church wasn't so happy about it like you know there's ways of knowing you know were really different ways of knowing really demoted it's if you think about like again systems of power who wants to concentrate power how they want to concentrate power how they might be like this is the only way you can get a relationship with god this is the only way that you can have a relationship with power and so a lot of the other things got pushed to the side and also were illegal for a lot of history hmm. in different places like astrologers would get arrested mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? like it, it wasn't it wasn't uh thought of as a good thing once there was an institution of god right so is there a history of marginalized people practicing astrology kind of on the dl the way we talk about marginalization now i don't think is applicable in the same ways if we're talking about history it would have to be really specific so i don't want to conflate what that is but there are times where astrologers would definitely have to go into hiding and do their do their work in the alleyways and the like back rooms so there's this kind of you know vibe around astrologers a there's a lot of fear about it and b it was so frowned upon in so many different religious institutions and then legal institutions that there's this like carryover and you know like anybody can claim to be an astrologer and anybody can say anything and so it's not like a regulated field but a lot of people can say they're reporters too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, that is, uh, that is a hundred percent true. There's like a, you can be a guru with absolutely no, a guru of anything. You can be the president of the United States <laughs> and have literally no experience. <laughs> so why do we not believe in presidents? Yeah. yeah it's the yeah. same thing. It's like, right. Well, some of us don't wins. believe in presidents. My, my faith in presidents is exactly waning. Uh, to use another <laughs> astrological term. It is not waxing. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so we're going to do something fun after our break. Great. We are going to take a look at Alyssa's and my birth hey. charts. Hey. Okay, we'll be right back. And we're back. We're with Jenny Nicholas, and she is about to do uh, some birth chart readings for Alyssa Master Monaco and I. Um, can you talk a little bit before we get into it? What is a birth chart reading? What, what can somebody learn from their birth chart? And where can a person find their own birth chart? Great questions. So on the Channy app, you can pull up your chart and you can read very detailed descriptions about every single thing in your chart and what it means and why it's important. 
You can also go to my website, Channy Nicholas, and there's a chart tool that you can go to to pull up your chart. So both of those places, pulling up your chart is free. If you want to become a subscriber to the app, it'll give you, again, detailed descriptions of every single thing and what to focus on. An astrology chart is a snapshot of the sky from the location you were born at the moment you were born. So the sky appears to turn and move throughout the day, right? Think of the sun rising and setting. That's the sky moving. It's not like the sun is coming on and going off. So there is something called a rising sign or an ascendant. And that's literally the Eastern horizon. And it's the moment of your birth, the part of the sky that was rising up over the Eastern horizon, that is your ascendant. That's where the sun would have risen. That is the point of your birth that is saying that, yes, I'm here. I'm going to be in this life, in this body. And then from that moment, we set up the rest of the chart. We can see where everything else in the sky was and everything that we can't see where it was as well. So it is a map of your life given the moment and the location of your birth. Okay. All right. Let's, let's get into it. Alyssa, why don't you want to go first? Sure. I'll go first. All right. Okay. So, I mean, I can tell you a gajillion things. We have a short amount of time. Is there anything specific that you want to ask? Um, I think I am curious as to how my personality holds me back. (laughs) Oh, no, it's okay. It's okay. As a Pisces, I think it's important to know. Well, okay. This is a really interesting thing about your chart. This chart has an Aries rising. So that is a mark of moving into the world with great energy and force and determination to do things your own way, to go head first, to barrel into life and to be like, I am going to mark my life with a sense of courage and vitality and force and strength. In this chart, your sun, the part of you that's like how you shine, where you shine is in Pisces in the 12th house. That is a complete opposite kind of vibe. So where your rising sign is like, here I go, watch me like leap into the unknown. Your sun in Pisces is like, I would like to daydream in private by myself and escape into the ethers. I think that's fairly accurate. Okay, cool. In this chart, you have Jupiter rising. So when you were born on the horizon, Jupiter was just coming up over the horizon. That is an incredibly beautiful mark of prosperity, abundance, and a kind of optimism that can push back against all odds. can be like, well, I am definitely, this cup is half full. Like it's half full. No one can deny this. I am going to move forcefully with a kind of maybe aggressive optimism. But more than that, it's just like, I will bounce back. Again, it's very different than your son in Pisces in the 12th house. That is dreamy. That is, cannot really be, where did she go? It's like, it's like a great escape artist, needing a lot of time to yourself and to decompress. Okay. But this rising sign is like, full of energy and wanting to do things that nobody's ever done before. You don't need a role model. You're going to find your own way. It's a really beautiful mark of an entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. Then it makes your ruling planet, Mars, Mars. If you have an Aries rising, 
Mars is the planet that rules Aries and it tells us where you need to go in life. Now you'll find this funny. Mars in your chart is in the third house of communications. <laughs> it's in the sign Gemini, which is very curious and very chatty and out and about and moving about town and talking to everybody and wanting to ask all the questions like, what do they think about? What does she think? And then I thought then, oh yeah, then this person. And it's like gathering all the data and like forcefully, like really searching energetically for the info. So it's a great reporter. It's a great gatherer of intel. It's a great investigator. And it really is about the, you know, you think about Gemini, it's mutable air. So it moves. So if you think about standing on a hill and the wind is swirling around you, that's your jam. Like that is what you do. But again, it's from this place of like, I will pioneer and go find information that nobody's ever found and go have a conversation with people that nobody else would approach, but I've got the courage to do so. And I'm going to go forth and, you know, get the conversation, get the data and deliver it to the masses. And it's like this constant chatty gal about town kind of vibe. Again, your son in Pisces is hiding out in the 12th house. <laughs> it's like, y'all are a lot. Like I don't need to be moving that much, but that's what this chart is saying so far. Does that still read true this, for you? I mean, Erin, you tell, I feel I'm like laughing. this is me to a T. <laughs> okay, this great. is every bit of it from like <laughs> coming out raging to then just being like, you know what? I'm COVID's the best thing that ever happened to me because I'm hiding in my house for two years yeah. and I've never felt so energized. Right. And like, and like now going out and doing things and being like, I don't, I just, I'm laughing because you don't know how much time it's a very, it's a very, I guess maybe silly version of what you're talking about, but like, I am the person who knows every shopkeeper's name and talks to them about everything. And I made sure that the woman at the deli this morning was leaving early for her vacation because I was worried about the snowstorm and I didn't stop. I didn't leave until she was (laughs) like, okay, we got a room at the Hilton at Newark. And I was like, great. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's very like busybody, you know, like in a a nice way. Like I'm not the town gossip. I'm more just like the town let me solve your problems. Like five cents. The psychiatrist is in. Alyssa knows, has known things about me before I've told anybody because she's like, uh, she, she loves to know everything, but, she, but I also can trust her mm-hmm. with yeah, knowing everything. everything. Yeah. It's, and you're energizing. And because you have that Jupiter on the ascendant, you also, it's also the mark of someone who has a lot of wisdom and is a teacher. And so you can lead with a kind of like a spirit of like a rabbi preacher, you know, person who is like, oh yeah, I let me listen, let me be open. And it's also incredibly generous. This is a mark of someone who comes in with a generosity of spirit, a wanting to give, a belief in abundance and a belief in expansion. That. I have to say, that's like the nicest version of myself I've ever heard. Sometimes I think that I'm a bit of like a hyper empath, which is not um, not necessarily a compliment. It's like I take on other people's stuff too much because I don't know, maybe I have an emptiness. Who the fuck knows? Every Pisces in the world is nodding with you. Thank you. <laughs> Pisces, I see you. I hear you. Okay, let's, should we, Erin, I think we need to do you now. Okay. I'll also just say, Alyssa, you also have a sad yeah. moon, which is oh, all what about does that mean? faith. You, you have like this mark of like learning and exploring and having faith and wanting to move towards the ultimate truth. Like you're a seeker. I am a seeker. I would I say agree that. With that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay. So good. 
So, and then there's all the other stuff in your chart. And then there's all the like transits that you're undergoing and then can kind of, and that's what the app does. It kind of tells you all the different pieces of it. Well, okay. I'm on the app, but I didn't want to spoil anything. So I will get to that after we are done. Um, the app also looks beautiful. It is a, yeah, it's it beautiful. Is it's like a beautiful, beautiful on my phone. I love Thank it. Thank you. We we really take a lot of pride in the aesthetics of everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, Erin, when you were born, the sign that was rising up over the eastern horizon was Capricorn. Did you know that you're Cap rising? Yes. Okay. So Cap rising is going to lead with a pragmatic kind of style. It's going to be like. What is the work here? How could I enact with the world in a responsible, productive, kind of like overachiever sometimes way, but definitely like I'm going to lead with my maturity and have things a little bit, like have my boundaries really set and maybe like take time to get to know the situation. And like, it's not a leaping in where we have... Uh, and Aries rising is just like <laughs> busting through everything. Capricorn's like, hold on, let's be cautious. Let's like figure everything out and build towards something that is long lasting. So you're in it for the long haul. Your ruler is Saturn. Saturn is the planet of structure and authority. You have a fantastic Saturn. It is in a sign that it does super well in. And it's in your 10th house of career, public life, and the outside world and your vocation. So your orientation where Alyssa's was to like gal about town, shopkeepers, data, communications. Yours is like, I am going to my career. I am going to build a, a monument that will be long lasting when I leave this planet. I will have created something that is substantial mm-hmm. because you have Saturn in Libra. It's called the sign of its exaltation. All of your responsible kind of nature, your ability to like do the job, see the thing through and your ability to be really fair and people-minded and really, really likable lifts you up to a position of power in your life in a way that's, that's like, you're just oriented towards that. Like you, if you felt like you weren't manifesting yourself in the world, even if you didn't work like for a living, you'd have to like be in a place of prominence, but in a place of prominence in a way that was very much egalitarian very much about taking all sides in. And you'd be, you'd have to be in a position all the time of being kind of like Switzerland, like oh, I see this person's (laughs) point. I see that person's point. I'm going to weigh both sides and people are going to just, your whole thing is about being the person that everybody trusts and being kind of lifted up for your capacities, like your ability Mm -hmm. to do a job that's going to take a long time and a lot of energy and a lot of uh, foresight and you're, you're enduring. And that's also part of your charm. How does, how does that sound? That that sounds accurate since I started writing, but like up until my quote unquote Saturn return, yeah. Um, before I was became a writer, it was like 
also like around that time I started distance running. Yeah. Um, and both of those things together, like took, like put me in the right orbit. It like jarred mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And since then, yeah, I think but you I'm see a long your haul. Saturn return. So Saturn's the, your ruling planet. So uh-huh. your Saturn return would have unlocked something because your Saturn's oh, yeah. coming back to the place that it was. And it's like, listen, either I make this career thing happen or I realize how miserable I would be if I didn't feel like I put myself in the world in some way that felt meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's That sounds right. You are incredibly fair and egalitarian. Yeah. Oh, thank yes. you. <laughs> Under, oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's that's very nice. Yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of what I'm going for. Yeah. That's good. And that's good. You're getting there. <laughs> you also have a Saturn Pluto conjunction. So part of your thing might also be about in a very nice way that everybody likes and no one's threatened by changing the system in some way, like having that some kind of like structural huh. overhaul and transformation and being part of something that is industry wide that feels like a transformative force would be really. I think hmm. fulfilling for you. Interesting. Um, yeah, I've gotten that feedback before. Yeah. Um, I when I was first writing, or I was like writing at at a blog, mm-hmm. um, someone at the Obama White House like reached out and made contact and would yeah. include me in things. And like you know, at the end of it, I was like, "Why am I at this meeting?" With mm-hmm. it's like a long thing. I was yeah. at this meeting at the end of the Obama presidency that had only a few people there, and yeah. I was really shocked by being invited. And the person who invited me was like. Yeah, well, you're like you can communicate with the every woman. Like you yeah. can, you're not scary to anybody. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, Libra is it's 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 very relatable. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, and then one other thing, your moon, uh-huh. your moon is in Aquarius, which creates an ability that you have to understand the systems and the structures and how they work. And your moon is in the second house of how you make money. And moons are, the moon is also a planet that is in communication with all the other planets all the time. And so it's often related to writing. So if I look to see like what you do for a living, it's about how you think the ways in which you understand structures and your ability to articulate them in a way that can be related to the masses, but also um, Aquarians are really good at seeing things from outside and looking like not enmeshed in sentimentality and all of that. It's like, let me look at it from this point of view and therefore see the whole thing. So a lot of times, if you've got like a prominent planet, like you do the moon and Aquarius, you'll be, you make a living out of being able to be like, no, no, this is how, this is a setup. Let me, let me walk you through how this whole thing works and being Mm -hmm. able to understand the structures of something. And you also have the moon conjunct series, which is a, my wife has the sun conjunct series in, in uh, Aquarius and she nurtures people through creating systems of care. So it's not like an over sentimentality, but it's like, let me give you some information and we could create a system and a structure that actually would promote your well-being and your care. So it's almost like you nourish people through the information that you're able to glean, understand, put together and have a great perspective on. Hmm. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I, my question kind of related to that. It mm-hmm. was like nourishing type stuff. So um, I just had a baby back uh, in November. Uh, she's a Scorpio with a Capricorn rising. Oh, um, cute. 
Yeah, and with, with the Sagittarius moon, um, which and I did look up her birth chart and I was like, I don't know what this means in relation to me. Um, but I, I specifically wanted to say like, or to ask, what does my chart say about what I need to focus on as I try to be a good mother? What you need to focus on. Yeah. Like what, what are areas of, what are areas of, of work of improvement? I guess I don't need to know my, my strengths, but like, what can I, what can I work on? Well, it'd be more looking at her chart and your chart Mm -hmm. together to see like what she needs. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Aquarius moons could work on emotion a little, like feeling the body and being able to not go straight to the head to figure everything out emotionally, like not try to intellectualize feelings. I don't know if you do that, but that's like a general kind of thing about Aquarians is it's really, it's comfortable to be in the realm of ideas and articulating them, but it's not necessarily as comfortable to be in the body and feelings. And so as your little one comes into their own, you might, they might help you uh, get into your own body and your own kind of like physical, emotional kind of wisdom, perhaps. Uh, But, you know, they chose you as a parent. So you're the perfect Mm -hmm. parent to them. And as they grow, they'll push up against you and you'll know like the things to work on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I can look and say stuff about your children and your way of, your way of nurturing is really, at least to some degree intellectual, like you, I would think you'd want your daughter to be really well-educated, not maybe necessarily in a like societal kind of standard way, but like have the, you know, intellectual chops to be able to make it in the world. I would think that that would be something that's important Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, this is so interesting. And I, and I, great. Chani, I love your way of treating astrology like a framework. I think it's like a super interesting way that can be really helpful to people who are looking for something like that. So mm-hmm. Chani and Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us today. This thank was you thank you so, so much. So interesting. And thank you for contextualizing your work and uh, for reading our charts. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. You can find Chani's app in the App Store. Mm -hmm. And uh, You Were Born for This, Astrology for Radical Acceptance is available in bookstores everywhere. Is there anything else that our listeners should know about? Yeah. I mean, we also have a website, ChaniNicholas.com. We've got tons of astrological articles on there for you to learn all about your chart. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. You can follow us there at C-H-A-N-I. And my last name is N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chani Nicholas. We will be right back. Oh boy. So we did an interesting show today. We uh, we talked to an astrologer for most of the show and we did our charts. So we're skipping I Feel Petty and Sanity Corner for this week. But we do have some housekeeping and announcements before we send you on your merry way. Alyssa, have you checked out the new Hysteria merch? I sure have. You know I'm always first on the merch page. Oh, first on the merch page. <laughs> that almost sounds like a t-shirt. Um, we have a reasonably enraged t-shirt, tired of being nice candle 
which is a very like Zen way to, to affirm how you're tired of being nice, a luxurious person, hoodie and more. And that reminds me, Alyssa, I have a birthday present for you. I have to send you it. Do, to you. Oh, you're a luxurious person, Erin. You're a luxurious person. <laughs> you can check out the new Hysteria merch at crooked.com slash store. We are also doing a women's history month project. Um, you and I both have complicated feelings about women's history month because yeah. throughout history, there have been a lot of women many more than can fit into a month. And I think a lot of times we've we've talked about like a lot of times the way that we talk about women in history as these like one-dimensional, angelic yeah. or heroic. Pedestals, halos. Yeah. Shining light. Exactly. It's like women's pedestal month. And, and we don't need that. Nobody needs that. I no. think that it's important for us to see important characters in history as complicated characters, as as people who are full human beings with a range of strengths and weaknesses, people who do incredible things sometimes are a little bit complicated. So we are starting something in March called Madam Hysteria. Next week is going to be our first episode of Women's History Month, and we will be debuting Madam Hysteria, a weekly mini segment where we will be highlighting a complicated, messy, bold woman who we think you should know about. But hey, if you have someone that you think we should know, you can send a nomination for Madam Hysteria to hysteria at crooked.com. Okay, that's all the time we have for the show today. It was a good one. It was a good one. That was a lot of fun. Channing Nicholas was such a great guest. Alyssa, you are always such a great second in arms. And you are the most fair, egalitarian host a girl could ever ask for. Now, you should go into your room and take some time to just zone out and live in your imagination. Because you know, you know, you know yeah. that's what I do when we get off this thing. <laughs> You've earned it. Thank you, all of you listeners, for tuning in once again. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kalman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. <laughs>